Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Kyle Decker. Kyle is currently the uh, hitting coach at the University of Dayton. He's been at Harvard. He's been at University of Massachusetts. His dad's actually the head coach at Harvard, and he talks a lot about his dad and, and the impact that he made um, on him in this episode as a, as a player, as a coach, just as a, a father. It's pretty cool to hear. Kyle gives his take on, on a lot of different things in regards to, to coaching. He gives some tips on recruiting and what he's looking for. He talks about you know what what he would recommend to other coaches out there who are looking to get into college baseball and and especially those who are even volunteer coaches too on on how to how to go about trying to, to trying to set yourself up for success in the future so Kyle's doing a, a great job at Dayton they, uh, they they have a great program up there and I'm, I'm very excited to go up there and watch them play actually hopefully in the next couple of weeks to be able to go up there but I just I like I like what I've I've heard from him in the past you know month or so when we started to connect and I think he I think he's someone who who can bring a lot of value and I think he does bring a ton of value to those who are who are, are going to be listening to this so hope you enjoy this um, before I forget I did a presentation with Jared Gaynor um, Jared talked about pitching and he's a pitching coach in the Minnesota Twins organization so he went over how to help pitchers throw more strikes different drills that you can do to help pitchers do that I presented on how to help hitters make better swing decisions at the plate and some drills you can do with that so if you want to watch the replay of that presentation head to patrickjonesbaseball.com slash blueprint so patrickjonesbaseball.com slash blueprint. Just put your name and email in, and you'll automatically be sent the replay of the presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Kyle Decker. All right, we now welcome on Kyle Decker. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're you're from Northeast, uh, the, up in the Northeast where it's nice and cold. Did you grow up a, a Boston Red Sox fan? I did. I grew up in uh, uh, I grew up in Sinsbury, Connecticut, um, which is about you know a half hour outside Hartford, Connecticut, which is a, obviously the capital of the state. Um, so I went to high school. You know, grew up since the time I was born in in, in Sinsbury, Connecticut. You know, graduated high school Sinsbury High, class of 2011. Um, I attended Trinity College, which is where my dad coached at for, uh, I believe, 22 years. Uh, I, I attended there my freshman and sophomore year, um, and then I transferred to Oberlin College, which is about a half hour outside Cleveland. Um, and, you know, since getting to coaching, my family's based in you know, Duxbury, Massachusetts now, which is, you know, basically on the way to, on the way to Cape Cod. Um, they call it the South Shore. Um, so, Outside of Boston is where my family resides now. Did you, what, what's it, you didn't like playing for your dad? Is that what you transferred? <laughs> my dad got a new job. That's, <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> is that when he, where, where did he get a new job at? So my dad is the, the head coach at uh, Harvard University. Um, so he was hired there after the, the passing of, you know, the legend Joe Walsh um, in 2012. Um, so my dad was hired about a week or two into my sophomore year at Trinity um, and it's been, you know, it's been great for him and my family ever since, um, obviously untimely timing for me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been great for the Decker family and my family is, 
you know, very happy living where they are right now. It's been great for my mom. It's been great for my, my two younger sisters. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all, I mean, when your dad's a head coach at Harvard, you know, things are good. So it's a, it's a good spot to live. It's a good spot to, you know, work for him. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's done great things. Yeah, he's game. done really well there. Brent, Brent Suter is a buddy of mine. Uh, I know he played at Harvard and I don't think your dad coached him, but I think he, I he think he's him by a year. He missed him by a year. I think, year, yeah. I think, I think he, I think he got drafted at in the spring of, or the summer of 2012. And, um, but I know he's been, he's, he's come on a couple when I was at Harvard working as a, as an, a volunteer assistant, he, um, did some zoom calls during COVID. Um, but he's been very supportive and, you know, the, all those alumni that preceded my dad's arrival to Harvard has been, have been great, you know, for, for my dad. And I know he really appreciates it. Kyle, I, I would imagine, I mean, I've been coaching now, not that long, you know, five or six years, really. But I mean, I would imagine when you started coaching that it was probably an easier transition being the fact that you grew up with a dad as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a dugout. Um, you know, I started swearing way too young. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, it, the I grew up in a dugout and it was awesome. It's, it's everything I could ever wish for based on where I'm in right now. And, you know, being a baseball coach is all I've ever wanted to be. Obviously, you know, I wanted to play as long as I, as I could, which I think I did. Um, but you know, it's, it was a growing up in a dugout was a great precursor to being a, ba a college baseball coach and just a baseball coach in general. What's one, what's one thing that you've, you have, uh, have learned since becoming a baseball coach? Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's a loaded question. And I think I, I look at my dad and, you know, I've learned that my dad is, is so patient. And, um, you know, I look at myself and uh, I wouldn't say I'm impatient, but I'm not as patient in the old man. And, and that's something that I'm trying to work on getting better. Yeah, I know, you know, my dad will joke about that. And, and that's the, the word patience is something that um, I point out as something um, that I want to, you know, improve, improve upon. And my dad goes, ah, you get that from the German side of your mother. Um, <laughs> so I, I think the patience that my dad, that my dad has, and, you know, be, you know, me being, you know, coach's son and, you know, my dad being who he is and, you know, he, you know, he's literally being my best friend, whether he's my father or not. Um, I look at something that one of his strong traits is, is his patience. Um, you know, his patience when he's at Trinity to building it into a, you know, national chip, national championship winning program. And, you know, his patience being at Harvard and, you know, staying the course and, um, you know, turning into an Ivy League championship program as well. Um, so patience is the one thing I look at my dad and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Kyle, you need to be a little bit better at that. And, um, you know, I think, you know, based on my age and I'm 29 and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm getting to that point where I'm not a, a young assistant coach anymore. And, um, that's something that I'm trying to work on. And I think when it comes to the player development side, that's a perfect thing to work on, um, because stuff takes time when it comes to, you know, player development. What's your favorite thing about player development? Um, uh, I like seeing kids get better. Um, and when I see kids get, when I see kids get better, um, I look at the work that I put into it as gratifying, you know, the success they have is gratifying to me. Not that I'm the one getting the hitting the home run or getting the hit, but I help that, that player get better. Um, it's, 
you know, it goes back to, you know, you, you almost want people you're personally invested in to have more success than, than you, than you have. Um, so I love, I love seeing kids get better. Um, I love the happiness they get in and, you know, and getting better and, you know, putting in the hard work. Um, I, I just, I like seeing kids get better. And if, if I can play a, a 1% role in that, or even if it's a 0% role, but I help them get in a, in a good frame of mind that allows them to get better. Like, you know, it's, it's on them. They're putting in the work I'm being, you know, I'm being a TA or an assistant and, you know, I'm helping that kid get a better grade or, you know, just helping them improve and, you know, working towards their ultimate goal. What would you say the ultimate goal for most of the, the players that you've coached is? Uh, they want to get drafted. They want to play professional baseball. Um, and, and I love that. I love, you know, that's, that's something I, that's a goal that I had when I was playing and I played, you know, I played division three baseball and, you know, still had those dreams of playing. Um, but if they want, you know, they want to, they want to have those dreams of playing professional baseball and willing to do whatever they need um, in, you know, provide and provide them with any, you know, time from my time to, to help them get there. Um, want to help those kids improve. I think, you know, I come from, you know, my family comes from a teacher's background. Um, my, my granddad was a, uh, you know, longtime principal and, you know, helping kids in Western Massachusetts and helping kids get to college. And I think as teachers, um, you want to see kids get to college, whether it's high school. I think if, I think if I wasn't a college coach, I'd probably be a teacher just based on my background and, and, um, you know, so at that teacher's background or lineage, whatever, I think that holds true to, you know, what I do as a coach sort of thing. Do you ever sometimes stop and think about speaking of being a teacher? And I, I've, I've thought about this before as a coach too, just making sure that my, the message I'm giving off to the players really resonates, but have you, have you gone about, you know, when you're coaching or talking to a group of players at, at a time, like how, how do you know when it's time to, to not talk as much versus when you need to talk more? I think that's still growing uh, personally. Um, I think, you know, sometimes like, I, I tend to be an over analytical person. Um, you know, I'm just when given a scatter report, you know, I tend to maybe, you know, give too much information, you know, based off synergy and video, I might get a little too in depth when, you know, inevitably it's just about, Hey, get a good fastball. See you breaking ball up see a breaking ball up and, and stay middle with it. You know, doesn't matter if he's, you know, 90, 93 or whatever. Um, so I, I think it's something I'm still, I'm, I'm still learning um, and looking back on it. All I'm trying to do is help um, and give them, you know, as much information as possible. You know, I, I, I very much so uh, attuned to, you know, failing to prepare, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Um, but the, yes, there is a, um, there, there, there definitely is a line between giving too much information and, you know, overload sort of stuff. But I think it's something I'm working on, um, you know, and hopefully getting better at sort of thing. And, you know, as much as I, you know, I talked about patience, um, you know, paying the time and, you know, learning from, you know, failures and, and whatnot, I, I think I'll get better at that, or I believe I'll get better at that. One of the the things that I'm sure you've seen, especially I think last year, the of a few teams in the, in the MLB were really highlighting doing you know random practice on the field, challenging practice with machines. Which I mean, pretty much every team was really. But um, what's what's your take on on challenging guys versus like the traditional BP model too? I'm a huge believer in machines. Um, you know, as far as 
you know, I've measured out exactly how high our hat junior is on the short legs and extended legs, and then match them up to, you know, what the typical release point is, um, you know, based off of 54 feet being the, you know, the release point of a pitcher. So I'm a huge believer in machines. Um, I think, you know, if, I, I think what one thing coach King, what, what one thing good that coach King does is he almost like he he's a good, he's a good go between with you the traditional and the more modernized pr- approach to using machines. So it's um, a little bit of both, um, but he's also a big believer in machines as well. Um, but I'm, I'm a big machine guy. I think, you know, if I was ever to run my own facility, um, you know, I'd buy three of those, those hack attack juniors before I ever bought, you know, anything else sort of thing, but I'm a big believer in it. I think, you know, seeing velo and making things more game-like is the way to go. Um, especially when you can, when you can mix breaking ball and stuff into it. So when it comes to machines, I'm all, I'm all for it. So if I go and watch a Dayton fire BP, there's a chance there's some machines out there. Yeah. So there, there'd be, um, there'd be machines going on in our, um, in our indoor facility. Um, you know, coach King is, throws as good as batting practice as I've ever seen. I've seen him throw a batting practice without a, a hitter taking a strike or taking a ball. Um, but, you know, within those groups there, there's our indoor cages. Um, and we, you know, based off what velocity the, you know, projected starter is throwing, that's being, that's being displayed on the hack seniors. And then in the other cage is um, probably some sort of break them off a hack senior or, um, we do some stuff, you know, shorten stuff down with hack juniors. That's a little bit, um, it's less on the, I, I'm a, so hack junior versus hack senior, um, you know, the hack juniors don't bust up your, your hands as much when you don't square up a ball. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but their machines are being used. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what, the hack seniors, man, like they're, they got some nasty stuff. Players hate them. I mean, just because it's, oh, yeah. you never know where they're going half the time. They love the juniors though. Yeah. I mean, um and they're getting better um but i'm like i said i'd i'd buy three hack juniors before i ever thought about buying anything buying anything else but that's that's just me what about what's your take on on some of the the technology and and in hitting Uh, i think it's good um but i also believe that you know when it comes to college baseball i think the player development side is is really in that fall practice period um so we have we, we use blast motion. Um, we really got into it at Harvard where, you know, we collected the, the 300 plus, you know, swing data in the fall. Um, in my, in my context, you know, when I was at Harvard, it's, it's still a guy I keep in touch with, you know, at blast motion is, is a guy named Jeff McGeary, who's a former UPenn, um, you know, baseball player. And, you know, we would, we would have, you know, I, I'd had the data. I would, I had a spreadsheet, um, you know, the, the, the certain metrics that I valued. And I think the, the biggest one being attack angle, um, that being, you know, guys basically, you know, swinging down at the ball versus being more on plane, um, trying to get them within that 10 to 15 degrees. Um, but then, you know, you get this data, but okay, how do you fix it? Um, and Jeff, you know, during COVID, Jeff and I would have meetings with a couple of the Harvard players and, um, you know, talk through like programming, how, you know, how do you warm up, um, you know, different, you know, high T versus, you know, low and inside T and, you know, different soft toss versus, you know, front toss, different stuff like that. Um, I think it plays a role. Um, I think, you know, whatever, you know, some, you know, division one programs have a lot more resources and, you know, bigger budgets than others. Um, but it's doing the best with what you can. And, um, 
you know, I, I think it's a huge role, but I'm, I'm a blast motion guy. That's, that was my experience when, when I was at Harvard, I was in charge of the blast motion. Um, and coach Brian Stark is my dad's associate head coach was kind of the rap Soto guy. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a morph between them. Um, so it, it I, I think it plays a huge role. Um, I think if you, if you don't value the role that metrics play and technology play in the college game is particularly when it comes to hitting and probably more so when it comes to pitching, um, you know, not to talk down, but I think you're behind the game. And I think that's what young kids, you know, are seeking. Um, so it plays a role, but it's also program dependent in terms of, you know, how you allot your time sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's cool to get so involved with, you know, the technology and stuff like that. But at the same time, you're trying to win baseball games. Um, so the competitive aspect, I think, you know, is above all else, um, you know, comp- you know, scrimmaging, um, just competing to win every day. I think that takes precedent over technology, but technology is, is you know, it's right there, but there's a time and place for it. Um, you know, with us, it, when the guys came back from winter break, like they weren't, they weren't hooked up to any blast motion and stuff, unless there is a significant, like what, what is going on with this guy? Um, but I think in the fall, that's your, that's your real big player development period in college baseball, at least, at least one, college baseball coaches are work, are allowed to work with them. What, yeah, how many hours a week are you allowed to work with him in the fall? So um, when it's, you know, the true fall season, it's 20 hours. Um, when we're in the, like the individual phase, it's eight hours per okay. week, per week, per guy. Um, okay. And that, and that takes into account, you know, lifting um, and different stuff like that. So it's, it's not, it's, it's truthfully not a lot of time. Um, you know, the, the play development, you know, play development is such a huge thing talked about in, in baseball in general now. And you look at the college game and it's really not perfectly suited for that. Um, you, you know, and in the Ivy league, it was different, you know, based off the hours. I, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but I know it was significantly less. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of how it is. And that's why, you know, when these guys go away, you know, these guys go away for, for Christmas break and, you know, you don't see them for, you know, three weeks to a month. And it's just like, things happen. Um, and you can't, you're not, you I guess you're not technically allowed to really, you know, work with them. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's college athletics. <laughs> have you ever actually thought about getting into professional baseball? I have, um, you know, I think during, during COVID when I was a volunteer, you know, still a volunteer at Harvard and, you know, I was basically a, a hired gun when it came to travel ball coaches in the Boston area, uh, basically given being a hired instructor. Um, I thought a lot about it. It's, it's still stuff I think about. Um, but I, I grew up in college baseball and I believe in intercollegiate athletics. I, I still think it's the, I believe it's the, purest form of our game you know in a lot of ways um and, that, and that's not meant to take away from professional baseball um but uh it's i mean you know you're you're 29 years old and or whatever age it is and you're a single dude and it's just like hey like you know you love baseball and it's you know you 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 know what's your niche well sometimes you Sometimes in order to know what your niche is, you got to, you know, get, you got to dabble in, you know, different things. Um, so I, I mean, I still think about it, but I, you know, I know in my heart that, you know, college baseball is where, you know, I truly, you know, want to be. And, you know, like, like I said, I think it's the purest element of 
the baseball game in terms of, you know, guys just going out there and playing for their teammates and, you know, playing to win. And it's not to meant to, it's not meant to take away from, you know, the, the Mike Trouts and Bryce Harper's of the world, but they're, you know, they're inevitably playing for millions of dollars. And I think that takes away from the team element, which is, you know, the team first is what I was brought up, brought up on. Um, so, but that's just I, my, that's just my feelings. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. I mean, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I enjoy watching college baseball more than I enjoy watching really professional MLB or anything, just because of some of the things you, you highlighted there. I mean, you got guys, I mean, you're, you're playing to win, you're trying to win versus in the minor leagues, you know, you're told who is going to hit and what part of the lineup, when they're going to have their off day, all this other kind of stuff. So there's so many things behind the scenes um, you know, not necessarily specifically for Dayton, but like in general, in your college coaching career, for those out there listening, every time you go out there, are you putting always putting out like your best nine? Or are you sometimes going to give guys a, a chance who maybe don't get to play that often during a midweek game so they can develop too? Um, I would think for us here, uh, we're putting out our best nine. Um, if we're even during a midweek, about, even during midweek, um, and it, it, it's not meant to. That's not like a a hard answer. Um, but you know, coach King always tells me when it comes to scouting reports midweek, like we're preparing to win this game, like it's a weekend series. So it's like, okay, like I'll put in, I'll put in the hours that needs that need to be done. And, um, but yeah, like, yeah, like we get, we give guys chances, you know, I think, you know, this year so far we've been, we've been banged up a little bit. Um, so we've had to, you know, give guys a shots and it's not just been in midweek it's been in, in weekend series too and um we found out a lot about our guys and you know it's you know it's college baseball is a short season in terms of length but it's a lot of baseball mixed into you know that three to four month period um but we 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 go out every game and it's not about you know giving guys repetitions and you know giving guys inning just just because their mom's in the stands it's about you know we're trying to win the game. Um, but it, it's different at, at, at every program. Um, you know, like it's just, you know, when I, when I was at Harvard, a lot of times our, our midweek games were on Tuesdays and, you know, when it came to, to pitching, um, it was really whoever was available sort of thing. Um, it's not that they didn't try to, they didn't try to win. They absolutely did. But, uh, you know, some mid, midweek games are an adventure, which is probably one reason why I don't particularly care for them. <laughs> Personally, I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I, but I'm, I mean, I always like, you know, it is what it is, but you know, you, you know, as a, as a coach, like you never want to just, as a coach, you're never going to hop up there, you know, and you devote so much time, even whether it's taking a bus ride to whatever it is, like you want your team to play to win and, you know, you're not gonna, it's not, it's not little, I'm not even gonna say it's high school baseball, but it's not literally where a certain amount of players need to play a certain inning per game. Um, we're, we're always playing, we're always playing to win. And, and I, I felt at every, the three institutions I've worked at, which is UMass, Amherst, Harvard, and, and Dayton, um, every game we've played, we're, we're trying to win the game. Like, yes, yeah, our it might look a little different. It's, it's not Johnny hearsay reps. It's, we're trying to win, and, you know, you know, that, that goes in the player development side, you know, midweek games and trying to get some other guys, ABs and opportunities. Um, but yeah, I'm personally not a big fan of midweek games. That's, that's the conclusion I'm coming to. 
Kyle, if if you had a if you had a son who who wanted to who was in high school and and he wanted to play college baseball, so you weren't forced to him like he wants it. What yeah. would you what would you focus on with him from a let's just start from a development standpoint? Um, so I guess in precursor to that, I think how how academic is he? Um, I think that that plays a big role in it. Um, is he looking to go? You know, I come from a, a, a background of education and my parents wanted me to go to as good of an academic school as I could go to and make baseball part of that. Um, so I think that that plays a huge role into it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to kind of have a, a, a step forward when it comes to, you know, how well, you know, if it's a, you know, if it's a certain AAU program, how good are those coaches at? you know, player development side of things. Um, Cause that's something I value. If the kid, if my son really wants to play division one baseball um, say he wants to be, you know, play a power at a power five program, then yeah, sure. Like I want to get into as a big of a, um, you know, player development side sort of thing as, as, as possible. Um, that being said too, uh, based off my background and my experiences, I also would want my son to be surrounded by, um, you know, players, that, uh, an organization that's pretty, di- that's pretty diverse. Um, that's something that I personally value and I would hope my son would want to value. Um, you know, I, I would want him to, it's not about the money ball sort of thing. I want him to, to be surrounded by kids that um, are a little bit different from him when it comes to background, um, race, what, what, whatever it comes to. Um, I would want him to experience that because um, that's you know, when you come into, when you come into college, it's not just, um, you know, people that look like, look like you all the time. It's, you know, people that come from different backgrounds and I want him to grow up in that. Um, and a lot of that comes from my upbringing where I grew up in a, you know, upper, you know, upper middle-class type of neighborhood, um, went to, you know, predominantly white high school. And, um, you know, I, I went to Trinity college, which is, you know, pretty, pretty um upper upper middle class upper class and um when it comes to the baseball side of things you know based off my experience with a uh organization in boston called the base um you know i've learned the value in you know opening opening yourself to you know people of different backgrounds and more diverse more diverse you know type of atmosphere so that's that's something that me i guess that that, that's probably going to be not probably i'm sure that's going to be kind of a an out there sort of thing but that's something I i would want my son to son or daughter um, to experience going into college, you know, people coming from different backgrounds. And I think that would set them up for, you know, a better college experience and a more worldly sort of thing. So I'd, I would want him to be surrounded by that. Um, so, you know, when, when it comes to like what my kid would want, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty individualistic. It's, you know, how he is as a student, how, you know, I, I think I would have an intuned, um, approach to how he is as a player, you know, based off of division three, two, one. Um, but I, I, I think inevitably it's about getting, you know, my child, you know, son or daughter into the best, you know, academic school possible. Um, that's what I was brought up on. That's what I believe in. Um, and, you know, you could only play, <laughs> you can only play a sport for so long. Um, and that college degree, whether it's a, an Oberlin college degree, whether it's a Harvard degree, whether it's a Dayton degree, whether it's a Trinity college degree, you know, that that's a bigger role to set them up for, you know, what they might want to get into sort of thing. So 
I don't know, like that might be a little bit different answer than what most college coaches might say, but that's what, you know, <laughs> that's what's what I got. No, that's great. I, I loved it. Um, I wasn't expecting you to say that, which is awesome. Um, it sounds to me that do you, do you wish you would have had a more diverse upbringing? Uh, yes. Um, I think, you know, yes. Um, that's no, that's no, not, there's no shame of my, my, my mother or father. Um, because well, I know it's out. It wasn't nobody's fault. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I look at 2022 today and, you know, there's different things that I wish I was privy to when I, when I was younger. Um, you know, even for me, like, I, I, I kind of joke about it now. Like <laughs> I, I took Latin in high school. I wish I just stuck with Spanish and learned how to speak that different way. It would have helped me a, a lot out more when it comes to, you know, you know, coaching and, you know, you've talked about, you know, getting to professional ranks, but I think it's important. I think surrounding yourselves, surrounding yourself with people who don't look like you, who don't come from similar backgrounds, I think is, is very important when it comes to just the maturity of, of a human. Um, so, that, I mean, it's, you know, I think, you know, during the summer of 2020, I did a lot of work with the base in Boston, which is an urban city, um, an urban Boston organization dedicated to the achievement of inner city youth. And it changed the way I look at coaching and it, re, it revitalized kind of what I was going through as, you know, in a dark time for, you know, being a volunteer assistant, you know, brought me joy to joy to drive into, um, into Boston every day and work at a, I, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the field. Um, but it, that's kind of, you know, that's what, I, that's what I believe in. And, you know, I can't, you know, the stuff that, you know, Robert Lewis Jr. is now um, a part of the boys and girls club at Boston, but his son, Steph Lewis, who, you know, was one of my best friends. I actually, you know, I talked to him 45 minutes last night, just kind of shoot, shooting the hoot. Um, you know, I, I believe in that. And I think it's of the utmost important sort of thing. Yeah, th this last year, speaking of, of kind of what we're talking about, I coached a kid when I was with the Orioles who was from Cuba and, um, you know, basically got him during the middle of the season. Uh, I think we signed him, we got him in a trade and we I, come to find out the more I got to know him, he didn't speak any English at all. Um, so it was kind of, it was hard to communicate at first. He talks so fast. I mean, half of the Latin players couldn't even really understand him at times. And, but we found out, so he, he went, he was on Cuba, was on their, uh, one of their national teams defected when they were in Canada. So now he's in the United States. He doesn't know anybody. He can't go back home to Cuba for the next, like something crazy, like seven or eight years. And then this past summer, uh, something was going on with Cuba and their government and they cut the, and all the Wi-Fi out. So he couldn't, now he couldn't even, he couldn't even call home, much less go home for the next like seven or eight years. And so it was kind of like when all this like happened and you hear about it, it just, it puts everything in perspective. Like this guy can't even not much less go home. He can't even call his family back home. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, we have, we have a couple, um, excuse me, a few international players that, at, at UD, um, you know, we have our, our big first base at Marcos Pujols as from the Dominican. Um, we have a couple Canadian players in, in uh, Ben Jones and Mason Doby. And we have a, uh, uh, um, our center fielder, Jose Martinez from Puerto Rico. Um, you know, and when I look at Jose and Marcos being, you know, 
first their first language being Spanish and then coming into you know college in the United States where they're forced to not you know I'm gonna call it they're forced to speak English like it's tough yeah. it's tough and you know on top of that they're trying to play baseball and I can't imagine how how hard it is for them to take college classes in a different language. I mean, like when I when I when I finished playing, I, I played overseas. I played in Belgium and I played in Australia. And when I played in Belgium, I lived in the French district, and I like I don't speak a word of French. And I remember going to, um, you know, the the, ba- the little bakery, you know, outside my little apartment, college dorm, whatever, and like. I'll just point at the uh, what I wanted every every morning. The, the lady got it. so I can't imagine like not in. I can't imagine not knowing language or just just it not being my first language, and then taking college classes. Um, and you know, in here at UD, I think I think we do a good job of with the academic resources of of acknowledge of you know getting them the extra help you know or the extra time and and what what they might need to you know to you know. Keep, Give a given a fair chance or equal chance to, to pass that class. Um, and really, uh, you know, I look at, you know, UD in general, you know, seeking those international students, um, student athletes, undergrads, whatever. I know UD has a, has a good um, connection with Puerto Rico in particular. Um, but, you know, I look back at, you know, my college experience and I was, <laughs> there's definitely sometimes overwhelmed, but if I was, if I was to do that, you know, having to speak, you know, French or Spanish, I'd be like, yo, like it's, it's not going to happen. I know I, you tell me this, I feel embarrassed. I even thought college was hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did fine in school. Um, I was, you know, I hopefully my mom doesn't tune in, but I was very much so baseball first school get by sort of thing. Um, but that, that's on me, but um, it's, what, was, what was it like uh, playing in Belgium? Like, how did that, how'd you get there? Um, you know, I was, I was looking to keep playing. I mean, I was a, I was a pretty good player. I was a pretty good hitter. Um, you know, my senior year, I, I slid head first in home. She's the only time I ever did and basically tore up my shoulder and mm-hmm. had to rehab. And I just wanted to keep playing. I, I thought I had more to give. And, you know, one thing, one thing with playing college athletics is a lot of times you can't go overseas. Um, you can't, you can't take the semester abroad to get practice. So it was, it was something, you know, my dad's director of baseball operations, uh, Morgan Brown, who's one of the more interesting people I've ever met. He was a, a walk-on at Harvard, got in on his own, was a captain, played indie ball. Um, you know, he played, he played overseas and, you know, he helped me out. Um, and, you know, I went overseas and it was fun, man. Like maybe, maybe sometimes too much fun, but um it was cool to see a different culture sort of thing. And then, you know, I, I went, you know, I had spent six months in Belgium, came home for two months, excuse me, came home for two weeks and then hopped on a plane to Australia. Um, and, um, you know, it was a little, they speak English there and, you know, I was based out of Sydney and I had a great, I had an unbelievable host family and played for great people and made some great friends. Um, but it was different. It was a way to, play for another year and then I, I was fine when I was done in Australia I, I didn't I messed up my shoulder again but at the time at, but I was like all right cool like I'm done like I've given I've given everything I can give playing wise and now it's like now it's time to get into coaching sort of thing but it was cool it was awesome it was something I don't regret you know it's 
you know, I look back now, you know, the logistical side of things. And, you know, I look back at that year and it's like, all right, well, I could have just gotten into coaching right away. And maybe I might be further along. I think I thought of that more so when I was a volunteer still in terms of getting, being a paid guy. Um, but then, but then I also, and more so value the, the people I met, it's not about how I played and whatnot. It's, it's the people I met. It's, it's people that I still call. There's, you know, one of the people I played in, I played for in Belgium, Christoph Dassey. I run into him at the ABCA all the, ABCA every year. He's a baseball nut. He's from Belgium. And I see him every time. It's like, Christoph, like, how are you, buddy? Um, and we talk about different, different stuff. And the Australian people that, you know, I lived with and the French that I made, I call them every, I call them every, um, you know, Christmas day, just to say hello um, and see how they are. And, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, but I always call them and, um, I've looked back at my time overseas. It's, it's a lot more about the relationships I made than any baseball, pure baseball, you know, going, whatever, four for four, whatever. There weren't many of those, but um, go to it, whatever. Like it's, it's the people you meet in this game. And it's the same thing that comes into coaching sort of things. It's the people, you know, it's the other, you know, assistant coaches, head coaches you meet on the road. It's the recruits you meet. It's a, you know, my dad, you know, not to keep talking about my dad, but he talks about college baseball and just baseball in general being about relationships. Um, and I, I think you can truly, you can only really truly understand that if you, if you go through it sort of thing. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's what I got about that. No, speaking of going through it, you were a volunteer. Um, I think people listening to this, they, they don't really necessarily, they may not necessarily know like what it's like to be a volunteer coach other than the fact that it just says volunteer. Like what is that actually, what's that really like? What's that lifestyle like? So, um, you know, when I got hired as a volunteer at UMass, I lived with my grandma. Um, my, my parents are from, um, Western Mass, Greenfield, Deerfield area. So I lived with my grandma and I worked for, you know, Matt Reynolds, who's an awesome, awesome coach, awesome, in a, in a, in an even better human, um, but it was, it, it was made feasible for me on a monetary standpoint because I worked for my grandma and, um, I'd float her a hundred dollars every month to, she made me breakfast in the morning. She's, she's awesome. Mugga, if you're somehow listening, um, thank you so much and love you. Um, but I, I lived to my grandma and then, um, after one year there, uh, my dad had a volunteer spot open and, uh, my first year there, I, I lived at home, um, lived at home and, you know, worked, worked camps in the summer tirelessly, you know, the summer is what 60 days for the recruiting period. I worked 55 of those, whether it's um, work at, yeah, it was a lot. Um, it was a lot. And I lived at home and, you know, I did odd jobs where you know, within that 50 mile radius, I was able, I was allowed to work with certain stuff in the winter. Um, and then the, the following year I moved into an apartment where I was living in a furnished attic with no door for 300 bucks a month. So it's, it was kind of, it, it was all right to get out of the parents' house. And, you know, I, I worked a bartending job and I still continued to do, um, you know, AAU stuff within that 50 mile radius and give, given lessons and stuff like that. Um, you know, then, and then of course, so that was year two. So then COVID hit. Um, and then it was, I moved back home did landscaping for about a month that stunk um but i did what i needed to do and then you know 
Massachusetts opened up in terms of their restrictions and I was able to basically be in a roving instructor. Um, but it's not, it's not an, it's not a, it's not an easy, you know, life to live. I think, you know, power five to mid major, um, depends upon where you are. Um, but it's a lot of like you, you know, in the summer, that's, that's your livelihood for the, basically the whole year. And, you know, you got to save and you got to be, be prepared to, uh, get uh, nicked up pretty good when it comes to tax season because of the W-2s or the, whatever they are, 1099s, whatever they are. Um, but it was, it was hard. And, but, you know, I, me as a volunteer assistant, my parents were unbelievably supportive. My, you know, growing up in it, they, they've known that's all I've wanted to do. Um, so I, I had a great foundation when it came to my parental support and yeah, like, let's be real. Like my parents helped me out. Like that's, yeah. That, you know, it's when you get, you need people, you know, to be a volunteer, you need people to help you out. Um, and I'm fortunate to have two parents that were willing to help their son out, you know, continue what he wanted to do sort of thing, which is what they've done since I was, you know, three feet high or whatever it was. So yeah, that, not yeah that, that's awesome. It's kind of similar to playing if you're as a player playing in the minor leagues, like at some point you need someone to, to support you because you're not making enough money as is it's that's I guess that's kind of how I I view it and look at it I mean obviously I've never been I've never coached college baseball but that's how I view it anyway I mean you're you're working 55 days out of of camp out of 60 are those all just Harvard baseball camps no they were a lot of so uh when I was at Harvard I would do like a two-week stretch out in um mainly northern California um you know, one, one of the neat, one, one of the best things I did as a volunteer, um, and it was something that it, it would be something that I would recommend, you know, volunteers to do, you know, when I was at UMass, I, I wanted, I, when I, when I made, I made a point to work at, work at university camp at a camp that I could potentially envision myself working at, um, one day. So my first year at UMass, I, I worked Stanford camp. Great school, um, Palo Alto, unbelievable area. But I made a point to work to work Palo Alto. Um, we didn't get any kids out of that camp. We did get a kid out of that West Coast trip. Um, and then my in twenty after the twenty nineteen season, I made a I'm the the university. I, I worked Vanderbilt camp. Um, so when I was a volunteer, I made a point to work at a college camp that you know maybe one day I could see myself working at one day or just the, the, these college baseball programs that do an unbelievable job. And um, me, Kyle Decker looks up to. Um, so that, that would, that would be one. And it, it's other volunteers that have reached out to me, you know, what's something you did. I'm like, I went outside my comfort zone or I went outside the, the realm of new England. And I worked at, I worked at university camp at a school that does a really good job. And, you know, maybe I'd be hopeful to work out one day. Um, that would be my recommendation. Um, and it was, it was cool. I mean, I mean, coach, coach Esker and, and coach Corbin, awesome people. Um, I loved, I liked being around them for a few days, um, that it was, um, and I think, you know, I look back on that decision to do that. I'm like, that was, <laughs> that was a good choice to do. And you meet so many other cool people, um, out there, you know, when I was at, when I was at Stanford camp, you know, I, I got, you know, Alex Jardinsky at Princeton is a good friend of mine. Um, Joe Reno, who's the head coach at the University of Rochester, a good friend of mine. Um, 
Jake Shattuck, who's now his volunteer, you know, there's so many cool, there's so, uh, there's a close niche of people, you know, Todd Carroll is the, is the uncle of a lot of uh, assistant coaches in New England area, in the, in the New England area, is the pitching coach, recruiting coordinator at MIT. Um, so you, you, you get to network more and, you know, it's not about network. It's not about networking professionally, you know, so much as like you just meet people with the same aspirations as you do. Um, so that would be my one tip. That's usually the one tip I give to, to young guys or younger guys um, is, you know, work a camp that, you know, you, you think that program does a really good job um, and get something out of it. Just sell that's, that's great advice. That's great advice. I'm glad you shared that because um, we're definitely going to make that a clip and share it out all over social media. Um, what, oh, what's a, what, what's a hard thing that about recruiting that people don't know? Um, a hard thing about recruiting. There are so many kids that want to play for you. Um, so it's hard to say no. It's hard to say no. And it, you talk, you, you take phone calls, um, and, may, and maybe you find out that a, a kid's not, you don't think a kid's good enough to play for you. Um, and, you know, I try to be as transparent as I can because I think if I was in that kid's shoes, I would want to hear it. Um, but it's not, it's not an easy phone call when you're just like Johnny so-and-so, but man, like, I'm not saying you can't play college baseball, but I don't think you're a, uh, I don't think you're a guy for us based off what, what our needs are, what our scholarship percentage is. Um, they're not, you know, you don't want to ever feel like you're letting a kid down. Um, in those type of phone calls, you, you feel like you're, you're letting a kid down. Um, it's, it, they're not, they're not easy. Um, but, uh, you know, on top of that, as, as recruiters, um, you know, any, any, any kid that's a potential player for you, you, I feel like you owe it to yourself to watch video and, and find out about that kid. Um, and if you basically come to the conclusion that he's not a, he's not a, he's not a fit for your program. Um, you know, you, you owe it to that kid to, to say, Hey, like, I, I, it's not going to work here. Um, but they're, they're, they're tough phone calls. Um, I don't like doing them. They kind of bring down my night, but, um, they, they happen. Um, so I think that's the toughest thing. Um, you know, I'm not even going to get into, you, you I'm not even interested. The, the, sometimes you, you run into, you know, parents that, you know, and I get it. Like you, you value, you think you're, you think the world of your, your son, um, and it's not that I don't, um, but I have a, I have a job to do and it's to get the best players, excuse me, it's to, it's to get the best players that fit what we're trying to do possible. Um, so it's, it's the reality of life, really. Um, th those are, those are the toughest things. Like, and, and I, I would say the point answer is when you have those, to when you have those tough phone calls, you never feel like you want to, you know, it, it stinks feeling like you're letting a kid down and you're giving them an answer that they don't want. Um, but they happen and, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a tough shake. <laughs> how, but, how often do the parents play a role in you wanting to recruit that player? Uh, not, not often, not often, to be honest with you. I, I, I try to, um, I try, I try to, uh, 
not involve the parents until it gets to a certain stage. I'm trying to find out about their son uh, for better or wrong. That's, that's kind of how um, I like to do it. You know, I think experience between you and me um, it's about me, me talking to the player um, and yes, getting the information, information I know, but you know, the player that excites that excites me is, is a player that I'm like, man, this is a, this is a good freaking kid. And I see him being a stud player. And, you know, if he winds up signing with another school, like I'm going to lose a little bit of sleep over it. Um, so it's not, it's, it's not meant to disrespect the parents. Um, but their son is who is going to be with me for 20 hours a week for eight, nine months out of the year. Um, but the parents are, the, you know, it's, the parents are very important. Um, I appreciate, you know, the parents role and everything. And I, and I actually appreciate, um, you know, when, when parents are, you know, kind of just, just honest with me about when I, you know, Hey, like, how is your son? Like how, you know, how much does he study? You know, how much does he work? And you, you can like, there's a, you can sift through stuff, you know, when a, I feel like you, you know, when a parent's kind of, um, elaborating on sort of different things, um, I kind of appreciate the, the honesty from parents, you know, there's the, the kid I first committed here. Um, I, I think I, I, I love the kid. Um, and I think his dad's the man, um, you know, he's, he's a coach, he's a, he's a college, excuse me, not college. He's a high school basketball coach. And I, I kind of, we, we don't even talk about his son so much. I mean, yes, we do talk about his son, but we kind of just talk about, you know, coaching in general. Um, so the, the real talks when it comes to that, but every, every parent's different. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy getting to know them. Um, and, but, but I also really respect when parents are just like, you know, I know it's, it's, they, the, the, they value the conversations I have solely with their son more than I do my, I do my with them, if that makes sense. For sure. Last question I got for you. How, if someone wanted to, to play for you, like what, what would be the best way to get your attention? Um, I think you need, to, for me, athleticism stands out. Um, when I, when I watch a game, I, I legitimately look for the most athletic kid in the field and I watch him play. And then once I kind of deem my assessment on him, I move to the next guy. Um, so being as, as, as athletic as possible, um, whether you're a pitcher or a position player sort of thing, um, but also how you play the game. Um, for me, like, for me, I, I, I can't really faithfully make a decision on a kid until I see him play a real game multiple times. Um, video's cool. Uh, video's great. Um, and now that COVID's kind of, on the back trails, I'm not going to say it's over, but it's on the back trails. Like I'm going to see you play. I'm going to see you play multiple times. Um, that's the type of player. Um, that's the type of evaluation I need. Um, but I'm looking for, like, I'm looking for gamers and I'm sure every college coach is, is going to say that, um, you know, players that leave the field, um, you know, with the uniform dirty, with the uniform dirty. Um, I, I pay very close attention to their interactions within teammates. Um, I can tell if, if you're a, uh, me guy versus team guy that does, that's, that's really the, the quickest thing I can tell. Um, you know, I want players that 
that play for the team first and you know whether they go three for three over three you know how how were you playing during that game um but it's it's multiple times um and you know a lot like a lot of it's like a like there's no scientific way to this business in terms of in terms of how recruiting goes um i think steps have been taken towards that direction whether it be you know your pg grade or your pbr grade um you know, I don't, I don't care if you're a perfect grade, perfect game, grade 10. Like you, I, I, I'm not going to put the Kyle Decker seal of approval until I see you play with my own eyes and find, you know, talk to your, you know, high school coach or summer ball coach, um, get on the phone with that player, you know, have interactions with their teammate, excuse me, not their teammates, their parents. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And um, I think at, you know, I think where I developed that was with was being at Harvard and and how, you know, my dad says that, you know, we can get the greatest player in the world, but if he's a cancer as a teammate, you know, he's a four year problem for that for us. And he's I'm too old for that. Um, so I I value the the teammate, the team chemistry aspect way more than, um, you know, how good you are from a skill set sort of thing. Um, but, um, you know, different programs are different, but that's how I never, I never want to miss. Um, I never, I, I don't feel if, if we miss, if we miss on a player that I recruited, um, I feel terrible about that. Not, but it's not because he's a bad teammate person, whatever, um, just might not be good enough to play for us sort of thing. Um, but there's no, there's no exact signs to that. Um, I know that's a rambled on answer. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's what I got. No, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I could talk to you forever. We'll have to do this again sometime, but um, this has been great, man. Um, happy that you're, you're in Ohio now. Like, I'm in Cincinnati. You're, you're in Dayton. So I'll have to come watch you guys play here soon, especially now that it starts to get a little bit warmer out. But thanks for doing this, man. It's been a ton of fun. I know you gave a lot of great advice to you know coaches, whether it be volunteers, players, parents listening to this. So again, man, appreciate you uh, spending the time on – on a weeknight, which I know you, you don't get a lot of time off during the year. I pre hey, you know, the, the, uh, the privilege is all mine. You know, I think doing these sort of things is, is a way to, you know, for me to get my name out there, voice out there professionally. But, um, you know, we haven't, met, we haven't met in person, but I can tell, um, you know, we, and I can tell we can get along and I appreciate everything, you know, you sent back and for me back and forth towards me. So the pleasure is all mine, Patrick. And I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it.